Hello humans, hello humans. June 28th, a little after 8 in the morning, heading inland. Gotta go do all my chores. Weekly kind of thing. Raining, which eh, it's drizzly, it's not really raining. We need the water because we're under very dry conditions, burn bans, all of that kind of thing locally here. So um, we're all sort of anxiously awaiting a, a good summer rain that'll just soak everything and uh, get us out of uh, our current dry situation. It has been good for the, um, it has been good for the huckleberries though. I don't think I've ever seen the hook plants put on so many berries so early. Huckleberries are unique uh, because they have um, lots and lots and lots of flowers, but and all the flowers can get pollinated all at once. Um, I mean, they can actually all uh, bloom out all at once and uh, all get pollinated, yet the berries won't ripen at the same rate. And uh, in addition to that, they can also have the the flowers come into bloom over a period of time. So there's blooms throughout the, um, the summer and into fall, uh, gradually tapering off. And again, the berries are, are ripening at different, um, different rates. So that they're, it's an interesting uh, survival strategy for the plant because this way it avoids any catastrophic conditions insofar as uh, propagating itself, right? Uh, because the uh, berries would come in and uh, in tranches and thus theoretically would uh, miss any great environmental problems that might cause issues for the species. So it's a good strategy. It also makes it um, easy for us because we don't have to do tons and tons and tons of picking uh, all in a very short period of time and then spend all your time making jam. You can go ahead and you know go get all the ripe berries today off your bushes and then make jam with that so you're making small batches. And so it doesn't take, you know, um, two or three whole days worth of effort to get the jam put up for the year. Uh, my approach is to do it um, with maximally ripe berries as they are uh, available. So today in my uh, journey, I'll swing by to the Spooner's um, little kiosk and pick up some a few flats of strawberries and... Um, make some more batches of jam of strawberries while I'm waiting for the huckleberries to ripen. Then eventually I'll do um, uh, raspberries, also buying those from Spooners, although I'm already getting some out of my raspberries out of the greenhouse. Uh, raspberries in the greenhouse is an interesting strategy because you, also with strawberries, because you get the berries earlier and you can control the light and you can sort of make them like huckleberries in the sense that you can have them produced a couple of crops a year if you control the, um, the light frequencies. It's not really um, good for the plant. It has a tendency to like draw down plant stuff out of it, so it might be a little weaker over time um, insofar as raspberries are concerned. Uh, strawberries, not so much. They appear to, to survive the, um, the intensification of uh, bloom uh, without too much trouble. Although I have noticed that the latter season uh, or latter part of the season berries are not as um, robust. They're more uh, bulky, more fibrous. 
so it's as though there's only a certain amount of bioflavonoids and it gives everything it can in the first crop and then if there's anything left over it puts those into the second crop so the the second crop doesn't quite taste as sparkly as the um, as the first harvest anyway though uh, it is jam time gotta gotta get all this stuff done now while you can and we have um, basically the same kind of thing happening within our financial system where now is the time since it's summertime to you know get your house in order get everything ready for the winter now this winter we're going to have a particularly bad winter because the uh, central bank is dying uh, globally the central banks have taken over 140 countries uh, all central banks will be dying some central banks will probably survive in a um, modified form uh, over time, but they're not going to be like the Federal Reserve and the and its um, uh, backing by the Kazarian Mafia taking things over. So our our Federal Reserve has a real problem. The dollar is at the end of its lifespan. It has no more purchasing value within it. Yes, people still continue to buy U.S. Treasuries because we are still within this system, but the system itself is degrading and breaking down. If there were no uh, sharp breaks, then we might expect a 20 or 25 year uh, degradation uh, until ultimately it was a condition of every country with a central bank would be like um, Venezuela. And we'd all have, you know, totally worthless money, wheelbarrows of money being required, all of that sort of thing, right? And no out. But we do have an out. We have um, different kinds of uh, things we can trade in between ourselves and we can decide to remove ourselves from the central bank system which is basically as the system is dying what everybody's going to be doing anyway so even the central banks are now being allowed to get involved with um, uh, cryptocurrencies and in our case it, it seems a real solid um, conclusion that the uh, central bank is allowing the banks to get into cryptos in order to provide a backstop to the dollar. As the dollar is degrading further, uh, they'll have cryptos on their reserves because at some point nobody's going to accept a bank whose only reserves are treasury notes, right? Because a treasury note will be basically worthless at that stage. It's very close to that now. People are buying them. It's, they're buying them for the interest, okay, not for the collateral, not for the idea that they're going to get their ultimate money back, but rather simply to keep the system going. Um, some individuals are being incentivized to uh, invest in treasury notes over uh, regular bank accounts because you get a return of four or five or whatever percent, 5.8% or whatever it is, as opposed to the one or two or 3% you might get out of a savings account. But at some point, these people won't get their collateral back. They won't get their uh, invested funds back. Uh, they may still continue to get uh, interest payments on it uh, over time. But of course, the thing being paid out in interest is uh, going to be of no use to them and worthless, and they won't even want to screw with it. Anyway, so we have alternatives. We have the Bitcoins, um, gold, silver. Uh, we, to some extent, real good trading in the sense of, you know, uh, property as a collateral in, in the form of real estate or now even a good used car is a very worthy collateral 
um, a worthy bit of collateral for this kind of stuff. Now, we've got a, um, a situation where we don't have uh, a sound enough system left that it's able to, to function on all levels. So we know that the banks are buying uh, uh, what they call overnight repos or um, treasury notes as collateral. Uh, they're also taking out loans and, and using their own treasury notes as collateral on those loans uh, in order to be able to function as a bank. So uh, if I've got, you know, $1,000 in a bank, it's a demand deposit. So it, technically I bought into the bank, if you read all of the uh, legalese, but technically also it's a demand deposit. I can go in and ask for it back at my whim, right, whenever I want. Now, they give me my $1,000, they actually, the bank operates on the theory that a lot of us give them $1,000 and then they can loan out a million dollars, right? Then they don't have our $1,000, they've only got the collateral that they're on that loan uh, for that million dollars. Uh, so when, they, when I go to ask for my $1,000 back, they've got to go somewhere to get that $1,000 in order to be able to give it to me. So what they do is they go to the Federal Reserve to get that thousand and they say, hey, look, you know, we got a million dollars in loan collateral here, but we need a thousand dollars to pay this bastard off because he wants his money back. You give us the thousand dollars and we'll pay you interest on it. So at some point, as people withdraw money, um, they have to do this more and more often uh, within the banking structure and they have less in the way of demand deposits as uh, base for their operations. Because bear in mind that fuels not only lending, but day-to-day -day, um, transactions and cash and so on. And so uh, when they go to the Fed to get this $1,000, they may have to um, pay 5 or 6% on it as a loan under the circumstances. That's what the rising rates are all about. And, um, and they'll be pledging uh, treasury notes that may only be paying out two or three or four percent based on when they were taken out. So there's this net deficit. So that thousand dollars that they have to give me becomes ever so much more expensive to the bank over time than, um, you know, a thousand dollars given to me uh, two years ago, that kind of thing. So their money costs are actually increasing uh, as they go along. The costs of keeping the system working are increasing. And so, uh, and this can be expected to keep going and even to escalate, that the costs of keeping the system functioning uh, will rapidly escalate. And so we can think of it this way. Uh, at the time of the Weimar Republic, in those last few months when, when they had the uh, huge um, hyperinflation running and you needed uh, wheelbarrow loads of money, same thing happened in Argentina, when you, uh, in Venezuela, when you need the wheelbarrow loads of money, uh, at that period, they, the banks are, are in a situation then that they have to figure out a way to compensate employees just to keep them on the job. And so it becomes this weird situation where uh, bank employees during the Weimar Republic did well relatively in currency because they were close to the source of it all. And so we'll find that that is the case here. But that also means that all these local banks are going to have increasingly large costs just to keep the doors open and keep the employees interested. 
And this is like, um, this, this kind of stuff is going to start happening next month. Okay, so in July, just a few days from now. Uh, we're going to start seeing, um, we've got all this political uh, crap going on uh, throughout July. But we're also going to start seeing the uh, economic stuff really start rising up as we uh, get in past July 3rd. And when that um, begins, the, the economic stuff uh, starts popping up again, we'll find that the Federal Reserve has probably uh, got their nuts in a vice and they'll probably have to raise rates just to keep the system uh, quasi-functional, right? Just to keep people being able to get a little bit of cash and have a little bit of loan activity, this sort of thing. Now, bear in mind, loans have dried up. It's it's very, very, very difficult for people to get loans because the under, there's a couple of things. There's the dying of the dollar. The asset has to have enough a huge amount of overage and value that if the lender had to seize it, they would be able to sell it for a much reduced cost but still get their money back. So if they've got to loan you $550 million, uh, they want to make sure that they're loaning that $550 million against a property that they could sell for a billion, uh, maybe, and even if they had to discount it, they could eventually get their $550 million back. That's no longer happening, okay? So those kind of deals don't happen. Uh, now what we have a situation of no one will loan them the 550 million. So the Hilton Hotels gives the top two hotels back to the city of San Francisco because they can't afford to refinance them and they're unwilling to maintain the debt on them. And they've got all kinds of problems with the uh, maintenance costs having gone up well over 4,000% in this last two years of um, uh, rampaging destruction, vandalism, crime, and all of that. And so, and they've got employee costs now that are really, really, really escalating. So they're in a situation where they say, well, as a corporation, we don't have the luxury of having a, an emotional attachment to this particular uh, flagship hotel that we, we have here in San Francisco. So we're just going to let the city have them. We're just going to give it back to the banks and the city and the city, you know, they own on taxes and shit, right? That they're now unwilling to even think about paying because there is no uh, possibility of getting that money back in. Their corporation, they have to operate under certain fiduciary rules uh, on behalf of the shareholders. And so they're kind of snarkered, right? They've got to, got to do something. They can't continue the situation as it is, but any option they take is just going to be very very um, terrible down to unpalatable. So they took unpalatable and just let the buildings go back. This is the same with the Weissfield Mall. Weissfield Mall in San Francisco, I think is, I think it's worth like 400 million. They can't get a loan on it. Um, the interest rates are too egregious. The uh, property won't support the loan because there's only it's only uh, retailing out 220 million a year. And you need to have at least the same volume of dollars going through your system as you owe in nominal debt on it in order for it to be nominally profitable given tax breaks, government subsidies, and that kind of thing. And so they're just no longer nominally even profitable. So these corporations are abandoning the properties rather than uh, continue with it. Now this is happening on uh, low levels everywhere. Uh, a friend of mine, it's commercial real estate is just basically uh, 
totally screwed and isn't coming back anytime soon under our current sociological conditions. So we don't have a giant uh, workforce that needs office space anymore because so many people are working from home and because that is a um, economically viable way for corporations to go. And they don't have the upkeep of buildings, facilities, people to provide services to the people that are doing other kinds of work, you know, so like you don't have to have maintenance people and janitors and so on to support your your office crew. If all your office crew works at their own house, they are their own janitors. So as a corporation, you're pushing out more and more work on these people uh, for the same amount of money, so that's good for you. And you're also reducing your uh, overall overhead in not having to maintain these very large office buildings uh, that are basically just space for people to sit there and make money for you, right? And so anyway, so that's happening all over. Uh, a friend of mine on the East Coast um, bought a place in the Carolinas and he bought a 10,000 square foot uh, restaurant. Restaurant hadn't been a restaurant for a long time. It's near a coastal community. Uh, there have been economic issues, and he's going to remodel it into a house. Kind of a weird sort of situation, but anyway. Uh, but for him, it was very, very, very economic to do so because this was a property that could not obtain uh, lending on it um, in the process of the COVID shit two years ago and was shuttered. They shut down the business. I, I think actually they shut it down like two and a half years ago, something like that. And it had been sitting there ever since, and this guy went on in and was because he's self-financed, he's a crypto dude, um, he was able to make a nice deal, in fact, a sweetheart deal. So he went, and he, and he was smart, he went to the, the town and saw how much taxes were owed on the property and, and talked to the city council and that kind of stuff and gradually worked up to the point where um, uh, he presented them with a proposal after he'd done all of his homework and checked it all out. <coughs> and that, you know, if they would re uh, rezone it so it could be uh, residential, then he would do the following and uh, he got a sweetheart deal on it because when he purchased it, because he'd done all of this negotiation and stuff ahead of time, he basically was able to buy the thing and only have to pay one quarter of the back taxes that were owing as part of the property settlement because he negotiated it with the city. And basically the city said, yeah, we'll take one quarter as opposed to zip because he was prepared to walk. If he couldn't get the deal he wanted, it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, emotionally or economically viable to him and he would just walk away. And so I think it took him like four, maybe five months to do all of this, you know, and he had to talk to the bank and they took a big hit. Uh, they were a big impediment because they wanted to get like a uh, full rate on their money. And he just walked away and they came back to him like a month later and he walked away again and they came back another month later. And now they're about, I think they're down taking 22 cents on the dollar. Um, so he got it at a very, very, very reduced rate. Uh, and even then he had the bank do some of the financing. So he didn't use all of his own money on it. So it was, it was pretty sharp. Uh, but banks are not really in a position to do lending now because of the shakiness of the economy, the shakiness of the people, and so on. And so the whole banking system is reflecting that because it's not on sound money. It's on this fake debt money that needs to be circulating uh, or it basically everybody loses interest in it and uh, loses purchasing power in it. And so that's that's where we're at now. We'll see this in really pick up in July as we see larger and larger and larger uh, venues start 
um, collapsing doing, uh, due to not being able to be um, refinanced. Now, on June 30th, there's another big kick in the pants to the economic system, and that is that we're going to have a um, <coughs> have to roll over and revalue some derivatives. And derivatives are like, hang on a second, abstractions upon abstractions upon abstractions upon illusions, right? And they're not real in in any really in any meaningful sense. But they um, uh, they exist, and they're actually part of the. They were what extended the the fiat money system and allowed the central bank, uh, the Fed, to conquer the last few countries that were resistant. Uh, say over the last twenty five years or so, we had the derivatives that gave that little boost to the dollar and to the banking system that has kept it going this far. So they're basically out the banking system, basically out of any kind of ammunition or whatever for control. And what they're trying to do now is to allow the banks to get into um, cryptos and form uh, uh, exchange-traded funds with the hope of, and it's hope, uh, with the hope of manipulating the crypto market the way they do gold and silver. Now, gold and silver market's breaking down. They won't be able to maintain that. We'll see ten or twelve thousand dollar gold pretty quick. We'll blow through six hundred dollars on silver. Um, it will happen. I think it'll happen suddenly, not gradually. Okay, I think that there will be a sudden break, and then in between one day and the next, markets will have fractured to the point where we'll, when we wake up the next day, the markets will not have been, won't function the way they had been functioning, and we may find things are just like totally, totally weird and off. Um, wouldn't surprise me to see, uh, you know, go in one day and uh, Bitcoin is like, uh, let's say it's 67,000 by then, okay? And uh, and uh, you go to bed that night, you wake up the next morning and you see that Bitcoins are um, on the markets being uh, offered at anywhere from 90,000 to, you know, 220,000 or a quarter of a million or something, right? Um and it'll be in different exchanges at different rates because it'll be a function of an actual market and people trying to get their shit together to purchase. And <coughs> that will be the the um, ultimate crack-up of the... It, it'll be the crack-up boom that will be reflective of the dollar dying. I don't know that that'll happen this year, but I, I'm not ruling it out. There's vast quantities of data I've got that are going to the economic system going bluey this year you know, blowing itself to shit. Um, it seems more in fall than in summer, but we've got huge, giant economic problems ahead of us in July. And the last two weeks in July are going to have some form of an economic... Uh, it's like a pre-echo, a, 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 a prophecy of what's going to happen in the last two weeks of September and on in through October and November. So I'm looking forward to seeing what events uh, transpire in these last two weeks to give me a hint as to what we might be looking at in the form of these uh, resonances or, or echoes, right? But as I say, we should be able to see those in the last two weeks of July, but just getting to those last two weeks is going to be quite crazy. Um, these months here, okay, so these are the weeks in which decades happen. 
and the hell of it for us is that um, we're going to have a whole lot of weeks like this. So we're going to probably have to go through 50 or 60 years worth of uh, undoing and and um, uh, reforming uh, of stuff uh, before it kind of like settles out a little bit. So uh, the powers that be have held us in a control matrix for so long that the natural forces of universe need now to express themselves and thus we get this idea that there's going to be um, uh, decades worth of events happening in mere weeks. And that's because they've held all these decades worth of events in abeyance with their phony money system. Uh, and, and it's dying. Okay, so we're coming out of the 6,000-year-old um, control system uh, that was engineered and really uh, hooked into us during the Kali Yuga. And uh, so 6,000 years of stuff, it's going to have to be undone. And a lot of it's going to be undone in, in uh, big chunks. And it should be very, very, very exciting for those of us that are awake and paying attention and that have been anticipating all of this. And it's going to be scary as fuck for everybody else. All the normies that are just, you know, going along and all of a sudden their shit seems to happen. Now, we know that that is not the case, right? We know that there's pressures, there's temporal pressures, um, emotional pressures, activity pressures, all going all the time. And that releases are uh, should be um, as commensurate, but they've been held in uh, stasis uh, by the powers that be in the banking system in their attempt to control everybody. And that's why we are where we are. Okay, not only is it the end of the banking system set up by the Federal Reserve in 1913, but really had been engineered since the end of the second bank in the uh, 1860s. Um, and they really started engineering it then, right? They tried to force Lincoln into another bank, uh, didn't work, and they've been working at it ever since. Now, this is a holdover from the Kali Yuga, which ended in 1700, okay? That was the end of the Kali Yuga. But there's this one quarter, one quarter, one quarter kind of thing. So uh, the Kali Yuga is um, two chunks, 1,200 uh, years each a descending Kali and an ascending. And we went, just came out of the ascending Kali Yuga. Still a, a period of very dense thought for humans uh, because humans are dense because we don't have a whole lot of uh, energy coming in from galactic center. We just have what's available through our sun. I'll get into that some other time. Anyway, though, so the uh, there's this period of time of 300 years, one quarter of 1,200 years, that is our transition period. And then there's one quarter of that, in, in which we're in now. We've got 24, or it, that's 75 years, and we've already gone through 25 of those 75 years. And in those 75 years, as you exit from one yuga, uh, from the from the fading part of the Kali Yuga. So you, you come out of the Kali Yuga into the Bronze uh, Yuga, the Bronze Age. But for the first 300 years of that Bronze Age, you're like shaking off the hangover of the being dense and in the head kind of shit from the Kali Yuga. So there's inventions and everything's really cool, but it's not anything like what it's going to be in just, you know, another 10 or 20 years. Um, it's, it's still fighting through that hangover period, so to speak, right? And then after you come out of those 300 years, which we have, and then we've gone 25 years beyond that, and after you come out of the 300 years, there's a one quarter of that, which is 75 years, and that 75 years is the period of time in which 
the theme, so to speak, the uh, the emotional theme of that uh, age is set. And so we're in the 75-year period of time in which we will set the and get visible um, the para the paradigm um, and its expression that will dominate this Bronze Age. So over these next 50 years, we'll get hints as to where this Bronze Age will take us. So I'm expecting over these next 50 years that we'll get into um, lots of magnetics, new forms of light energy, lots and lots and lots of inventions just coming out so fast you can't keep track of them. And they'll be moving into the idea of working us towards primary magnetism. Uh, not residual magnetism, which is what we normally deal with, which is what we use to run our electric motors. Um, the physical magnetism that that draws a piece of metal to uh, a magnet is residual magnetism. It's not primary, uh, which is also called divine magnetism. In any event, though, so we'll get, get into this, some of the really cool shit over these next uh, 50 years here that will set the tone for this 2,400-year period of time. <coughs> Each yuga being... 1200 years more than the than the yuga before it and so it goes you know 1200 24 36 and 48 anyway though um our banking system now is uh was failing on its own was reaching the end of its life anyway and that was coincident with our particular point uh, in the yuga cycle at this stage. And so the central bank is not able to maintain control. They're fighting a losing battle. Maybe it will occur to some of these fuckers that they can't do it, that it, they never even should have tried. It was a waste of energy that, you know, uh, the trends were against them. You know, the trend is your friend or your enemy, depending on which way you go at it. Right. Um, so, uh, I got here. Okay, so I got to get into this area here. But in any event, so uh, I'm expecting that we'll see our uh, banking system over July <coughs> in very, very, very stark relief. Okay, so it, there won't be any fuzzy edges about any of our um, financial stuff anymore. We'll get uh, a clear vision of the uh, inability of the dollar to maintain itself, the uh, central banking system uh, failing all around us. Uh, we'll see it in food prices, energy, and so on and so on, right? And um, we'll see the shift as a result of the banks actually freaking out and becoming very paranoid. We'll see the shift uh, into uh, cryptos as a, uh, as I say, a backstop, a supporting aspect of the of the dollar actually is what they're going to try and do is prop it up now it won't work okay so an etf on bitcoin is not going to be the same thing as an etf on uh, gold or silver and here's why fundamentally they can lie so they can say uh, i'm blackrock i've got an exchange traded fund and we're investing in gold and silver and we got uh, you know uh, 42 fucking tons of gold and it's like okay and then they got somebody else that audited them and it said, yeah, we saw 42 fucking tons of gold. And uh, you just have to believe them, right? That's it. You've got no choice because they're not going to allow you to go and look at that 42 fucking tons of gold yourself and assay it and analyze it and so on. They're not going to allow you to do that. However, you don't have to do that 
uh, or they actually have no control over that with uh, cryptos. So if they say we've got an exchange traded fund and we've got, um, we just bought 42 Bitcoin, then you can go on to the blockchain with blockchain.io, go to the Bitcoin blockchain and you can see those 42 uh, Bitcoin in movement or not. Okay, so if they say, so if BlackRock says, well, we've got an ETF and it has uh, 42 Bitcoin in it and we're going to buy more, then you're going to say, okay, you know, give me a public address for your uh, your part of the blockchain so I can go see that you've got those 42 coins. Otherwise, I ain't giving you shit, right? In terms of buying into your ETF, you'll be able to validate this. And so they won't be able to lie. They can't lie about the cryptos the way they can about the, uh, the metals or any other thing, right? That you can't validate. If they say they own real estate next to uh, Barack Obama's 30-acre uh, waterfront estate in Martha's Vineyard, uh, and you could technically go and look in county records and stuff, but they could use some other name and say, well, it's not in our name. It's being obscured because of X, Y, Z, right? But they can't do that with cryptos. They have to, they, they'll ultimately have to give you a public um, blockchain address, and then you can, you can see if they've got the shit or not. Mostly, I, I think it's going to fail on them and it's not going to work. And they'll probably, that may be a lot of the, uh, maybe what causes a lot of the problems in uh, last two weeks of September and then all through October and November may be the banks uh, doing the, uh, doing cryptos very badly. Anyway, guys, I got to get moving here. Um, it's going to be a very interesting July, August, September. And on top of all of that, we got space aliens showing up. So this is all cool. We got disclosure anyway. We'll see if the space aliens actually pop their heads out. Okay, later.